Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Awesome. Hey, man, I was uh, able to go in the back and just see uh, a church worshiping God, and that's that's awesome. The fact that we can come here each week and do what we do, and this great team that leads us, uh, it warms my heart. My, my, my uh, wife has a Christmas sweater that says, Christmas warms my heart. That's her ugly Christmas sweater. So, uh, all right, a question for you. Have you ever disliked someone before you got to know them? In other words, in other words, you made a prejudgment about someone before you got to know them, and you're like, Mm-mm, "Not my kind of people," right? Now, now, um, maybe I, I do. I've done this. I probably still do it. Uh, but maybe you've had this experience, like I've had. So, like then, maybe like a friend of yours. Uh, hangs out with this person that you've prejudged, you've misjudged, and, you know, they really, you know, someone you trust, and they're like, hey, this person's pretty cool, but, and then you kind of start hanging around them, and then you really get to know them, and you're like, I was totally wrong, right? We all have that experience. We, we all do that, I know. Um, and I think sometimes we do that with God. And I want to talk about that uh, a little bit today. Um, Either you had or maybe you have some presuppositions about God uh, that maybe, just maybe, you've misjudged him. And uh, you really didn't like him or you don't like him. You really have a lot of questions about it. Um, Maybe these ideas came to you through the church, a church experience you've had. Maybe it came to you through other Christians that you've had encounters with that you uh, did not like. Uh, Maybe they were passed down from a parent or a mentor. It doesn't matter. Wherever these presuppositions have come from, they're there. And I think part of my job, part of our job, maybe, even on a Sunday morning and as we teach, uh, is to help us understand, the best that I can, a little bit more about God, about who he is, about who he is like. Um, And and once you get to know him for yourself, maybe, just maybe, you might begin to see things just a little bit differently. One of the most common uh, preconceived notions that I see from my friends or acquaintances or people that I talk to is this, and maybe your experience is similar. Uh, you, you, they would say, hey, man, um, God, if I ever stepped into a church, oh, my goodness, I would be smitten down on the spot. Or, or, or the, the day I go into church, that's the day, like, hell freezes over, right? And we all kind of smile at that, and we kind of joke about that, and we think it's funny. But then, you know, the deeper I think about it, at least, it's like, it's really not that funny. I wish it were different. You know, in other words, people are perceiving God as the great big judge in the sky, right? 
that is waiting just to smite you down whenever he is displeased. And so it's become so commonplace, this idea that it's almost become a joke. And I guess it's kind of funny, but I want to explore where did this idea come from? Where did this idea come from? We're in a series called God, Us, and we're filling in the blank with our, as Carrie said, our favorite prepositions. And um, right away when we were talking about this sermon series, like this is the message that I want. This is the one I want to take. But this series, it is a Christmas series. I promise it is. But we're starting in a place before Jesus ever gets to the manger. We're going way back to explore God. We went back uh, in week one, uh, called it God Above Us. We looked at this idea of a transcendent God, the aboveness of God, the God of the universe who infinitely existed before time as we know it even began and who will continue to exist through time. And we talked about the implication of a transcendent or above us God means. Not so much the definition, but what is the implication? And I said, it's that everything in the universe actually depends on that thing. That's what makes it transcendent. Now, you could not believe that. You could ignore that. Uh, you might struggle with that. But I would say this. That's actually, the transcendence of God is a really, really good thing. Because who, by the way, can really put their faith in a God who isn't transcendent, who isn't omniscient, who isn't omnipotent, who isn't omnipresent, right? A transcendent God brings order to the chaos and purpose and hope to us. And when we see God as transcendent, I really think what that begins to do is it helps us see our place in the world. And I think that's where we needed to start. And last week, Carrie talked about the God around us. The God around us. When we actually begin to open our ideas and our minds to the idea that there is a sovereign God, an above God around us, we not only begin to pick up glimpses of it and we begin to see it, but we slowly begin to understand things or see things differently than we ever have before. And it begins a journey of faith and trust. All of us are on this journey. It's a journey of faith. It's a journey of understanding most importantly, it opens our heart to the fact that God is good. And she talked about this. And he loves his creation. God around us. And so, again, before we ever get to the tiny baby God in the manger, before we can even understand why that miracle happened, we need to get a better understanding of God and who he is and how he works in the world. So, I have a question for you. You don't need to answer it out loud. Another question. This is the question day. How many people do you trust? How many people do you trust? Mm-hmm. So, when literally, when everything about you and around your life circumstances, the ugliest that it can ever be, who are the people that you would trust to come to your side, to be there for you, that won't give up on you, that won't move on from you. Maybe they'll even sit in their mess with you. Again, don't answer out loud. So uh, I have 1,264 followers. I looked this week between Instagram and Facebook. 
friends, right? And of course, not every one of my friends is on social media, so there are probably plenty more than that, or people that I haven't friend requested or, or accepted or whatever. Um, I've read somewhere that we probably interact in an average lifetime, we probably, the average person interacts with about 10,000 different people. There was a study done, uh, a psychological study, I believe in the 80s, I believe it was, um, and it became known as Dunbar's theory. And Dunbar's theory says, of all the people that you'll meet, of that 10,000 or so, let's just use that as our number, there's only, you only have capacity to cognitively interact with 150 people. Like, just, th that's all your brain can actually manage. So my question is, out of those 150, now we whittle all those Facebook friends and Instagram followers down to 150. Now, of those 150, how many do you actually trust? Well, I had my number written down, and then I looked up the rest of Dunbar's theory, and it said, really, an average person trusts less than five people total in their lifetime. And that's true for me. Five relationships that actually become incredibly meaningful, that are there for you no matter what. They got your back. So here's then my question. Do you think that God is a no matter what God for you? That's just the question I want to pose before I get into this today. Another study done a while back, this is from Baylor University, uh, wrote a book entitled America's Four Gods, What We Say About God and What That Says About Us. And here are the findings uh, that they revealed in this book. Basically, that Americans view God, actually people around the world, but I think a lot of it concentrated in America, that we view God four ways primarily. Not necessarily equally distributed, but that we view God in one of four ways. Here are the four ways. We look at God as the authoritative God. He's like, you know, our, the, our literal fathers below here. He, he's engaged as a positive force in our lives and in the world, but he's also the judge of behaviors of humans. That's the authoritative God. Then we have something they called the benevolent God. And the benevolent God is mainly a force for good in the world. He's a being who answers the prayers of people. He comforts the suffering, all that. There's benevolence there. A third way people could look at God is as the critical God, they said. He's less likely to be concerned with individuals and the individual matters of our life. Individual moments. He's not as personal. This is, this is God the judge. He will also hand out, you know, uh, meet out his judgments after we die. And then the fourth way people look at God is the distant God. However we define God, God is it's a cosmic force out there in the universe. He set the law of nature in motion, but he doesn't really get involved too much in the day-to-day -day of our lives. So again, this was, this was written uh, a while back, the authoritative God, the benevolent God, the critical God, the distant God. And when I read this, I had questions. I don't know about you, but I had questions. How did we arrive at one of those four places? Have we decided this based on what we've personally experienced or have, we, or have we taken on what maybe has been passed on and what we've seen from other people? Can we defend this position, actually? 
Because frankly, for me, when I look at those four things, three of them are really troubling, and the fourth one, for me, is incomplete at best. And I want to unpack that a little bit. What does God have to say about that? So, let's talk about God. Let's talk about his word, because sometimes, frankly, let's just admit it, the Bible can be a troubling book to read. And if you don't believe me, then just try starting to read through Old Testament stories with your children and start explaining them, and then you will see what I mean. It's extremely difficult. You'll find yourself very quickly starting to gloss over elements of the story that just don't sit well in our hearts and minds. You guys feel me on this so far? It's really hard. There's uncomfortable details, and we wrestle away certain kind of truths so that we could fit, and, and again, appropriately too. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm only trying to point out that there are some difficult things to reconcile in the Bible. But just because the Bible is unsettling, it doesn't mean it's not true, first of all. Just because some parts of the Bible are hard to understand does not mean it's an unreliable source. And just because we don't fully understand something, and I think we make this, um, uh, this a problem in all aspects of our life, because we don't understand something doesn't make it invalid. There's a story in the Bible going way back. There's this guy named Job. Anybody ever hear of Job? Now, believe it or not, um, Genesis most likely is not the first book written. In the, it tells of the first things of the world, but it's not the first book written. Actually, a lot of scholars would say Job is the very first book that was actually written in Scripture. And um, this is a story, this is a book that's really, really hard for people to get their minds around. There's a lot of crazy things that happen. We can't humanly comprehend it or even explain it. Uh, so if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to give you the super quick overview. And it's this. Job, super wealthy, beautiful, large family, loves and serves God. Honestly, it's like the dream life. He has it. Everything that we envision. Okay? Job had it all. So Satan, and yes, I do believe the enemy is real. Uh, he comes and visits with God at this point in time. And he says, uh, God, I, I, I see Job. And I bet you I could make him turn away from you. He has all this faith in you, he says. I bet you I could make him turn away from you. And in a surprising move, God says, okay. Have at it. So already our minds are blown. He says, there's one rule. You can't kill him. Satan says, okay. So God allows Satan to do his thing. And Job literally loses everything. All his wealth. All his family. His own health. All his friends. And again, imagine explaining that to your child. Just God just wiped out everything. Well, his four well-meaning, good intentions, no matter what, friends, came and for you know this big portion of the book, they come and give him advice. 
And they all have slightly different takes on everything. But in summary, most of them acknowledge that this likely happens because Job did something wrong. And this is either a big test or God's punishment of him. And then the very end of the book, God chimes in. But let me just point this out. From the very earliest of time, here's my point. People have been trying to figure out the ways of God. Why things happen in the world. And they came up with the very same conclusions that a lot of us in this room have come up with and we still wrestle with. That what God does directly corresponds to what I have done. So, the end of the book shifts, and God has this interaction with Job, and he says, okay, it's my turn. You've heard all these people, it's my turn to speak now. He actually gets angry at Job's friends, because Job 42.7 says, they don't even speak accurately on my behalf. And he goes on to say, you, Job, and all of you humans have no clue about the complexity of running a universe. And especially a universe run with people who have their own ways. Uh, Tim Mackey, he's a pastor, theologian. He, he's the guy who does the Bible Project stuff, if you ever saw that. Great stuff. He says this, In the world there's order and beauty, but it's also wild and dangerous. We live in a complex world and it is above our understanding. He goes on to say that there are two takeaways from Job. Number one, and this is a takeaway I want you to hear today, we have limited knowledge... And two, we have to trust that he cares and knows what he's doing. And so here's the big question of the day. Of the day. Do you trust that God is for you? I'm going to just let that sit in every single heart and mind. Do you trust that God is for you? It goes back to what I said. It's a, it's an, it's a question about trust. I asked in the beginning of this message, have we ever misjudged someone? And then I said, have we misjudged God? If so, I want you to ask yourself, where did that judgment come from? Where did our misperceptions come from? Where do all lies come from? Because we have an enemy who is against us, who is always speaking lies. And he knows that, and he's still alive in the world today, and he's doing his thing just like he was in the times of Job, and he wants nothing more than for you, every single person in this room, me included, to question God's goodness and his kindness and his grace and his mercy and his love. If he's got you questioning that, He's got you right where he wants you because he knows this. Your perception of God determines your pursuit of him. So here's what I want you to know. There's a God of the Bible who loves you. There's a God who says, not only do I love you, I pursue you. Not only do I love you and I'm going to pursue you, but I'm also going to provide for you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? I believe the God of the universe, and here's the title of today's message, is for you. He's for you. 
The God of the universe is not against you. The God of the universe is for you. And I want to spend the rest of our time talking about that because some of you need to hear this today. Some of my friends, some of my acquaintances, maybe they're watching online right now. Maybe you're watching. I've had conversations with a lot of people. I want you to hear. I want you to hear that God is for you. We're going to turn in our Bibles, um, if you have one, to Romans chapter 8. Otherwise, everything's going to be on the screen. It's going to be on the notes online. You can use our app to get there as well to follow along. Pretty much the only passage we're going to be in today, it's an incredible passage in Scripture. And it's surrounded by really, really difficult stuff. But Romans 8, I need you to open your heart and mind to what God is about to tell us this morning. We're starting in verse 28, says this. And we know, we know that all things, God causes all things, everything to work together for the what? For the good of those who love God. And are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew. God knew. His people. That's you and me. In advance. And he still chose you. I want you to say that out loud. God still chose me. Come on. God still. In spite of all of the stuff. He still chose you to become like his son. Jesus. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he also called them. He's saying the invitation is open, everybody. Come on in here. Having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. This is good news, everyone. And God wants to get that in our hearts. He goes on to say, and here, check this verse out. If you don't have like a verse that you claim as your own, maybe this is it. Check this out, verse 31. What do we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is what? If God is what? For us. Who can be against us? Who can ever stand against you and God together? He didn't even spare his own son, but he gave him up for you. Won't he give us everything else? Listen, I believe that there's a God in the Bible who's not just benevolent. He's for you. That there's a God who's going to show up for you no matter what on your worst day. That there's a God that's going to choose you no matter what on your worst day. When everything else hits the fan, God is for you. So Paul, in this Romans book, is making this argument. If God sacrificed his own son, I mean, what else could he do? What else does he need to do? Of course he's for you. And for me, this doesn't sound like a distant, non-relational, ready-to-smite-thee God. Sounds to me like a God who also isn't just benevolent, but who is actively, wants to be actively involved in your life, one who's going to pursue you, show up for you, 
to sit with you on your worst day. He's a trusted source of strength and peace and love. But this amazing passage of scripture is not over yet. I want to keep reading. And honestly, I hope that the reading of God's word is more powerful than any word that I say today. I'm going to skip back again uh, on the slides there to verse 31 because I want to read it again. What do we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who's going to condemn us then? No one. Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. I talked about that a couple weeks ago, that Jesus actually prays to the Father for you. He is pleading for you as well. Can anything, check this out, more unbelievable verses, can anything separate you from the love of God? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death. It reminds me of Psalm 138 that Kathy read earlier today, right? Verse 37. No, despite all these things, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Check this out. I'm convinced. Do you know today? Are you convinced today? That's what I'm challenging you. Are you convinced today that nothing can separate you from God's love? Not death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell. Satan himself cannot separate you from God's love. There's no power in the sky or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing at all in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. You know, in relationships, you know, in all of our relationships, here's what we all know. That you never understand fully someone until you spend time with them, right? You get to know them. We all know this. Because time with someone, an intentional time, brings a further, deeper knowledge it brings understanding, and eventually, eventually, it brings trust. And so the same applies, I think, for us in our relationship with God, right? We will not know him. We will not understand him. And it's really hard for us to trust him if we don't spend intentional time with him. And so for the last few minutes that we have, I want to talk about this. And I want to encourage you, because I see this as an, a message of encouragement that we have a personal God who is for you and not against you, contrary to popular opinion. So number one, what does that mean for us? Number one, it means this, that a God that is for you means second chances. How many people have gotten a second chance at things in life? How many people are grateful for the second chance in life? How many people in here might be grateful for a second chance at life? Some of you might, should be dead right now. I'm serious. And God has given you a second chance. And here's the thing. I struggled with that point because God also gives third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances and 70 times seven chances. 
If you screw up, God is not automatically thinking, I will smite thee now. It's just not that God. If you actually know Bible, because this is when we spend intentional time with him, you will find this out about God actually, conversely to what is popularly believed, and it's this, that we have a God that is slow to anger and abounding in love. I want you to catch that. He's not quick to anger. He's not like some of us with our kids who are ready to go off as soon as they do something right. No, he says he is really slow. He takes his time. It takes, in other words, a lot for God to get to the point. (laughs) And I hope you ask that question your entire life. It's true. It's true. We're always going to ask why. It's a matter of trust. The Lord is merciful, Psalm 145 says, compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing, uh, with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on his creation. He's not just slow to get angry. He actually is for you. He's merciful towards you. He's compassionate. He's filled with love and goodness for everyone and everything in his creation. And by the word, and by the way, a quick word on anger. I was thinking about this. Um, God does get angry. I'm not saying God doesn't get angry. God does get angry. But I would, I would argue this. God can't get angry at anything other than what is evil and wrong. God, in other words, God doesn't get angry like we do at the wrong things. God's getting angry at the right things. And I would argue that if we are looking for goodness in the world, there has to be anger that exists towards the evil in the world. Does that make sense? Things don't happen unless we get stirred up inside. It's like, again, it's like that Popeye thing. Like, I can't stand this no more. And this is where, like, we are able to do some good in the world. We get angry about the right things. But God is always angry about the right things. He'll never fly off the handle. Number two, a God that is for you means that he sees you. Some of you need to hear this today. Because you feel unseen by God. You don't think he even can see you. Maybe you think your perception is that everything that you've done has just kind of like piled up on top of you so that you can't even be seen through it all. No, 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 that's not the God of Scripture. You are not a cosmic accident. You believe in God. You believe that God created you. You don't just blend into the mass of 8 billion people in the world. He sees you individually. That's what a God that is for you is about. You say, Tom, prove it. Well, I don't have time to go into a lot of it, but Matthew says he could count every single hair on your head. He sees that. (laughs) Ephesians 2 says, uh, we are God's specific piece of artwork. That sounds like someone who wants to take some time with his creation. Uh, Isaiah 49, 16 says, he's ingrained you in the palm of his hand. Meaning he could look down and there you are, right there. He gives you second chances. He sees you in third because all pastors have great three-point outlines. 
God that is for you means that you can have peace. This is a word we hear a lot this time of the year. Peace and joy and hope. And I was really thoughtful before I wrote this down, but I actually think I want us to take this away. A God that is for you brings peace to a troubled life and a troubled soul. The world is certainly not at peace. I don't know about you, I have a hard time these days watching the news. I do. I really do. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not always the best one with being up to date. I try to stay up to date because I want to have a pulse on what's happening around me. I was reading this week again, so trying to keep up because watching sometimes is just too hard for me. And of course, we now, you know, we're seeing this whole war uh, on the Gaza Strip there, which has been a really difficult thing. And I was actually, um, I tuned in to a friend's church this past week whose pastor was talking about this very thing. And I just wanted to kind of get some perspective and maybe what other people, how they're processing it, other how churches are processing it. And so I'm watching this and my son, you know, he's kind of walking through, you know, how your teenage kids just think appearances and they come and then they're just gone again. It just happens with teenagers. So he's making his, you know, once or twice a day appearance. He's coming through. And he hears what I'm listening and watching, and it was really cool because he actually said, Dad, what do you think about all this stuff? And it was a teachable moment, right? He said, I, I don't know. I don't know how to parse it all out. This is really difficult stuff. It's really tragic stuff. But let me tell you this. God is for all people. I know that. See Job. We're never going to explain it. We're never going to answer our questions of why all the time, but I'm trusting that God is for us. Psalm 118.6 says this, The Lord is for me, so I'm not going to have any fear. What can mere people do to me? He fights for you, and he's with you. Isaiah 66.2 says, These are the ones I look on with favor. It's another way of saying I'm for you. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at my word. A God that is for us brings peace to a troubled soul. We might not be able to explain all the answers, but we could put our trust in the one who knows and holds all things. That's a God who's active and for you. And we all need that. Now, I don't know who needed to hear this today. You say, wow, Tom, God is for me. He's not against me. He's not going to smite me down. And by the way, Tom, I have no idea what this has to do with Christmas. <laughs> and I think it has everything to do with Christmas. You see, the story of Christmas started with God a long time ago before tiny baby Jesus came to this earth. The story of Christmas is the story of God above us and God around us the one who's pursuing his creation and seeing him again as he really and truly is. The story of Christmas is ultimately God's demonstration of love towards you. Love came down at Christmas. The story of Christmas changes everything because love came down in a tangible presence for you and for me. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. 
Until then, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to change your perception of God by exploring what he's all about. The transcendent above God of the universe is for you, not against you. And this is a message of love. It's a message of peace. And may this realization bring you hope and peace in a way which you have never experienced before. We're about to sing a song. And it's taken directly from scriptures, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. And if you're comfortable, maybe people who've been walking with God and you're comfortable raising your hand, I just get it. we're going to stretch out our hand across all the people in this room because it's a blessing. If you're comfortable doing this, blessing people around you, put your hand out like this and let's bless the people around us. This is God's blessing to us. The Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious towards you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace.